continue. Uh, I believe it was two weeks ago I shared a message called What's So Amazing About Grace? And I wanted to continue that. It's a four-part series. Uh, so every time I speak for the next two more times after this, we'll be talking about grace and a little bit more of understanding what grace is. Right? We speak of it often, as I've said. We talk a lot about grace. But do we truly understand what grace is? And more importantly, not only do we, do we understand it, but do we take it to heart? Right? And for me, does this understanding of grace, do we take it to heart and allow that to reflect in our actions, in our words, in our lives? This is very important to me. Grace, do we proclaim it as powerfully as we proclaim it in our words? Um, and I hope by the end of this series, or a little bit of each week that I do talk about this, that you can see and understand a little bit more of what grace is. But not only what it is, what does it look like, and what it isn't, and more importantly, why we as Christians have this huge mission of revealing grace to the world, because this world is desperately searching for it. Okay, so I want to kind of recap last week. Um, as well, uh, or the last time I talked. We talked about grace and what it means. Okay? But we talked about the issues of our churches today being filled with this thing called ungrace. Right? We talked about how grace is so used in our society today. Right? These images of amazing grace, a grace note, uh, persona non grata, you know, people saying grace over the dinner table, a grace issue of in a magazine. But we've misused this word. And the meaning of the word has simply become desensitized to us today. Especially in our churches when we should be offering grace to people outside uh, of it and to the world. We instead shame them and we show them this thing called ungrace. The world is searching for grace. But what do we have to offer them? Just as I said, as a vet, um, as a vet can tell a lot about a dog's owner simply by looking and observing a dog. I challenged you last time I spoke uh, to think about what does the world learn about God when they look at our church? When they watch us, the followers here on earth, what do they see or what do they think about God? When the world looks at us Christians, what can they really see about God? And then we talked about this parable. We talked about the parable of the worker and their unfair paychecks in Matthew 20, verse 1 to 15. You guys remember that? Maybe not, okay? But we talked about how grace is not measured in a day's wage, but rather it is something that is simply gifted to us. So grace is unmerited favor, an undeserved, unexpected gift from God to us. And on top of that, we dealt with this ideal that grace is simply unfair, right? It doesn't make sense. You look at the parable of the workers. Some worked all day, some worked very little, but they all received the same amount of pay, right? So clearly, grace is unfair, and we ended it with me defining what grace is. And this is the definition I want you guys to really think about as uh, I speak today. Grace means that there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. Grace means that God already loves us as much as an infinite God can possibly love. Isn't that beautiful? I think that's so beautiful, you guys. Let me say it one more time. Grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. Grace means God already loves us as much as an infinite God can possibly love. 
So last time, I ended the sermon kind of on a beautiful note, remembering this definition uh, of grace and what it's all about. But we also talked about um, the opposite of grace, just very briefly. Uh, what I called that was ungrace, right? And I feel like we as a church are filled so much with not grace, but rather this thing called ungrace. Now, ungrace works like this deadly, lethal like gas that kind of seeps out of nowhere and slowly starts to kill people. It's a poisonous, undetectable gas. From generation to generation, I strongly believe that ungrace, or this ideal of ungrace, is being passed down from people to people. Grace, on the other hand, it doesn't seem that great in the eyes um, of someone that is filled and consumed with ungrace. Grace, like I said earlier, looks completely unfair. And as I mentioned before, grace is unfair, and it doesn't make sense. And it's probably one of the things about it that makes it such a challenge. And it's totally reasonable. Think about it. It's totally reasonable. If someone was abused, if someone had some, someone do wrong to them, whatever it may be, to simply forgive them, it just doesn't make sense. It seems so unfair. Why should I forgive someone that did so much wrong to me? But I want you to remember this. Grace is not about being fair. Grace is not about fairness. Now, ungrace is something that is passed down from generation to generation. Ungrace is something that we see in our modern world, drawing back from way back when. If you ask a soldier fighting in Afghanistan, or if you ask someone uh, that was a sniper in the former Yugoslavia, where they are killing or machine welding um, soldier in Rwanda, if you were to ask them why they do these things, most of them might not have an answer or a reason to give it to you. Ungrace is something that continues to play in the background of our lives, of many of these issues and events that we encounter today. Ungrace is a constant, right? And to be honest, it's a scary thing to think about. If this is so problematic, if this issue of ungrace in our lives is so, such a problem, what must we do? Now, I believe, and alluding to um, what we're going to be talking about today in the scripture reading, I believe that the remedy to the problem of ungrace in our churches is none other than this ideal of forgiveness. So today, we're going to dive into this topic of forgiveness a little bit, and why I believe forgiveness is the solution to the problem of our churches of ungrace. Now, forgiveness is also something uh, that has had a very interesting place in my life as I've experienced forgiveness. Um, and as I look and study forgiveness in religion, but it's something that's very unique to Christianity. However, this unique trait of forgiveness, okay, if you didn't know, Christianity is one of the only, or actually the only religion that teaches the kind of forgiveness that we actually teach, which is by far fascinating. Many other religions teach this idea of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but Christian forgiveness is so unique in the sense that there's nothing that you have to do in order to receive that forgiveness. And so for me, while studying this, I thought it was very fascinating. It's super unique to Christianity. However, we as Christians don't show and live this, a unique quality or trait of being a Christian, for many reasons. And I believe one of the reasons why is because we don't understand true, genuine, and authentic forgiveness. I think that's the missing fear, but we'll get to that later. Now, the reason why forgiveness is so unique, like I said, is because forgiveness in itself is just very unnatural for people to do. 
It's something that pulls against us. It's our conscience telling us to do something else, to do the opposite. Forgiveness is extremely difficult. It haunts us even after the fact that we do the act of forgiving. But do you ever wonder why that's the case? Do you ever wonder why that lingering feeling is still there? Now, I want to tell you this. Forgiveness does not necessarily get rid of the hurt or the pain. But forgiveness does help us get somewhere that we need to be. We have all grown up in this society and culture that encourages this ideal of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Revenge is the sweet kind of mentality, right? The bad guy needs to be punished. The bad guy deserves to be suffered. Those who do wrong are punished according to the liking of a jury and a judge. That's the kind of society that we are so accustomed to growing up into. But forgiveness is something that goes against this kind of mentality. It tears us apart. How can I forgive a serial killer? How can I forgive a dude for destroying the community that I live in? How can I forgive a group of people that have caused me hurt and pain for so many years? How can they get away with nothing? Being on the giving side of forgiveness is a hard thing. But also the receiving side of forgiveness. Have you thought about it? I don't know about you, uh, but receiving things has always been something that has been a struggle for me. And maybe in your interactions with me, maybe this is something that you've noticed. Uh, I'm very introverted. Uh, I'm not lying. I'm being very honest with you. I'm a very introverted person in nature. And so for me to receive things from people is so hard. And I think part of it has to do with Korean culture as well. Um, You guys know how like... Maybe don't. But you know how if like some Korean elderly person tries to give you money? What are you supposed to do? Oh, thanks. No, what are you supposed to do? No, 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 no. How many times do you do that? Three times, right? Here, take the money. No, 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 no. Oh, no, no, please. I insist. No, 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 no. Here, take the money. No, 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 no. And then they offer it the fourth time? Okay, thank you. I'll take it, right? Okay? That's like me in every team, though, right? For me, it's so hard to receive anything. And in light of that, even to receive forgiveness is such a complex thing for me to do. Um, I would rather, for me, instead of receiving forgiveness if I were to do wrong to someone, I would rather work my way back into that relationship or that friendship or whatever. Be like, no, like, I need to do something to deserve your love or your attention or your friendship again, right? That's kind of my personality and my mentality. Like I said, I feel like a lot of Koreans Uh, Whether you realize it or not, I also feel like we have that kind of mentality when it comes to receiving things. And I think it also reflects in the way that we receive forgiveness as well. It's a very unnatural transaction, this ideal of forgiveness. Now, if this is such an unnatural thing to do, and something that makes us a little uncomfortable, why in the world would God ask us to forgive? What's the big deal? And why, why do we forgive? Pretty much the straightforward and logical act, uh, the answer that I can give you. If you wanted to tune out after this, then you can, right? But it's practically what God is like, right? The reason why we forgive is because that is what God is like. God is a God who forgives, and if we are to strive to reflect the character of God, if we really want to be more like Christ, then we are to forgive. I want to turn to the parable that Justin kind of read uh, for the scripture reading. Matthew 18, verse 21 to 35. And I'll read you pretty quickly. And it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
As, the, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's masters took pity on him, canceled the debt, and simply let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him, and he demanded, pay back what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But the man refused, and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in and he said, You wicked servant, I canceled all the debt that you owe because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Interesting, yeah? I think this is so interesting. You see, it's kind of crazy to think of it this way. But when we deny forgiveness to others, my first takeaway when I read this, when we deny forgiveness to others, in effect, we are also um, determining them unworthy of God's forgiveness. And thus, so are we. So essentially, and actually, divine forgiveness depends on whether or not we are willing to forgive others. And this might be a very far stretch, and you might be thinking, Pastor, like, I don't know about that, but give me a chance, let me explain a little more, right? It's crazy if you think about this, but I think it's so true. Just like the example of a vet looking at a dog and knowing about its owner, people will look at our church and learn about God. And what better way to exemplify God and his character but through our actions of forgiving one another, right? We have such a big responsibility, and I strongly believe this as a church. And it's a very honorable and a very respectable responsibility that we have. It's very worthy to go and to show forgiveness to others because that is exactly how God looks at us, right? Do you guys see that connection that I'm trying to make there? Hopefully you guys see that, right? Uh, There's a Christian author, pastor, and formal advisor to Bill Clinton. Um, His name is Tony Campolo. He would go around asking students in secular uh, universities, and he would ask them what they knew about Jesus. And he would go and say, hey, if you could recall anything, just like tell me what's on the top of your head. Um, And he would ask, what do you know about Jesus? Do you recall anything that Jesus said? And the number one answer that he said that uh, he would get from people, people would say, Love your enemies. Out of all the teachings of Jesus Christ, this one sticks out the most to someone that goes to a secular college. But it's so weird because loving your enemy is such an unnatural thing to do. We say it so much, but what does that really mean? What does it really mean to love your enemies? At least for me, to say to love your enemies is probably one of the hardest things to do. To go love the thugs that live down the street, okay? The drug dealers that pollute the nation, right? The people that are abusing and killing innocent lives. Most people, if not all, would naturally agree with the philosopher. There's a philosopher by the name of Immanuel Kant, who argues that a person should be forgiven only if he deserves it. But it's interesting because the very word forgive contains the word give, right? 
Like grace, forgiveness has this incredible, amazing quality of being undeserved, unmerited, and unfair. The thing about this issue of... Um, this is a little cute picture. The thing about this issue of ungrace in our churches and ungrace found in the people of our churches, we have to realize that in order for us to break this cycle of ungrace, we need not just forgive, which is the solution that I mentioned at the beginning of this message, but we need to take the initiative to forgive ourselves, right? Now, I'm a firm believer, and I've said this many times, and hopefully if you listen to all my other sermons where I'm talking about this ideal of self-care, uh, I'm a strong believer in it. Right? Because when you look at the Bible, and even if you, you, know, you want to look at Adventist teaching, we as a church and the Bible teaches a very holistic approach to life. Right? What does that mean? What does it mean to live in a holistic approach to life? That's like literally taking care of all aspects, spiritual, mental, physical, every part and every aspect of your life needs to be cared for. But so many times I feel like we find ourselves forgiving others and doing these things for other people simply because, oh, the pastor said so, or some speaker said that we needed to forgive and we needed to just, just worry about that. But in the midst of all of that, we fail to truly understand what forgiveness is. And we fail to forgive ourselves as well. We're too hard on ourselves, and I'm the chief of that. I'm the guy that's always like, man, I failed, like I didn't do good enough, and I'm always too hard on myself. We, forgive for, for, we fail to forgive ourselves, right? And I believe this is why the hurt lingers. This is why pain lingers. And this is why forgiveness isn't as liberating as we think it could be, right? When we are taught about how forgiveness is a liberating thing, we end up doing it and feeling like, oh, something is missing, right? And I strongly believe that missing key is because we fail to forgive ourselves. True, genuine forgiveness, listen to me, can only happen when we truly understand the forgiveness that God gave us. Truly understand it, right? And in turn, we give that forgiveness to ourselves. Now, forgiveness is, um, forgiving someone is easy, especially when we feel that it is justifiable or when we are in the right and when somebody gets something out of it, right? If we get something out of forgiving someone or we know that we're right, forgiveness is piece of cake. Or if we see that they truly deserve it, but when we look at the, uh, the parable of the unforgiving servant, what we just read, forgiveness was initiated, right? There wasn't any payment. There wasn't anything from the servant. Rather, the master first. The servant who received didn't fully understand forgiveness. And this is the, the turning point here. But rather, he took it as an opportunity to do what? To take advantage of a fellow servant that couldn't pay him back. Just as God initiated his forgiveness towards us. I believe this is a challenge to grasp and truly understand the forgiveness that God gives to us. And in turn, we reciprocate that forgiveness to others. Now think about it. If you look at the parables that Jesus told, you see a lot of the times where God is initiating to us, right? Before we could do anything about it. The lovesick father who opens out his arms to reach his son that had ran away, the prodigal son. The shepherd that goes out searching for that one missing sheep. A banquet giver who goes out to the streets and the slums in search of undeserving guests. You see, clearly God is teaching this message where he initiates towards us. And as we become recipients of that forgiveness, that we are to understand, to grasp, and to fully comprehend, take value in this forgiveness, and then turn reciprocate that to those in our community. And I think that's the challenge with forgiveness, true, authentic forgiveness. 
I believe one of the most popular stories in the Bible that maybe you may have thought of, or at least I think of when I think of forgiveness, is the story of Joseph and his brothers in the Old Testament. If you think about it, after going through all the things that Joseph had gone through, he was hated by his brothers, his brothers betrayed him, they threw him into a pit, they sold him into slavery, missing out on all the memories that could have been made with his family. Ultimately, in the end, long story short, what does he do? He forgives the very brothers that do that to him. And I think that's so crazy. But what makes the story even more interesting is that even, is that we can see that forgiveness didn't come easy for Joseph. Which makes sense, which is a natural human response for anyone to do. Because who in their right mind, after being betrayed, after being thrown into a pit, sold, who would forgive? We can tell that Joseph clearly struggled based on his actions. Right? He played tricks with his brother, right? hiding money in their grain sacks, seizing one as a hostage, accusing another for stealing his cup. Right? Based on his actions and behaviors, we see in the story of Joseph and his brothers, it's clear that there was this ideal of resentment. Right? There were open wounds that were still bleeding for him, that hurt. And it made perfect sense to struggle with this ideal of forgiveness. The brothers that had created the wounds, why and how could Joseph forgive them? And I think one way we can cope with this is actually found in Romans 12, verse 17 to 19. Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friend. Believe room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. You see, forgiveness is an act of faith. By forgiving, we trust that God is the better justice maker than I am. By forgiving, I am releasing my own right to get even, and I'm leaving behind all the issues of fairness for God to deal with at the end. I'm giving God the authority and the power to figure out justice and mercy by his terms and not mine. When Joseph came to the point of forgiving his brothers, of course, he didn't have he didn't, the hurt didn't disappear, right? The hurt and the wounds and the struggles that he had dealt with for many years they were, that were still giving him pain, those were still there. But now the burden of being their judge is no longer there. It went away. Of course, when we do this, there's a risk that we have to take because sometimes God will deal with the people that we're trying to forgive in ways that we don't want. And if you think of a prime example in the Bible, think of the life of Jonah, right? Jonah goes, or at first he runs away from the Ninevites because he said, I don't need to go to these people. They don't deserve God's grace. But he runs off, he goes to them, and then God doesn't destroy the city of Ninevites. And Jonah's angry, right? He resents God because it doesn't go his way. You see, forgiveness isn't always satisfying either. And nor is it something that's easy for us to do. But in order for us to show grace to others, we must always remember and keep in mind that God has first initiated and shown that grace to us first. That God initiates the forgiveness first, and in turn, as we truly accept and understand and comprehend this forgiveness that was given from God to us, we can reciprocate that to people in our communities. But please, please, this is the one thing that I was a little concerned about uh, when I was bringing up forgiveness. Um, I'm not trying to say now, because pastor said so, and pastor has given you some biblical evidence to go and you just need to forgive everyone. Okay? If you are not ready to forgive, do not forgive. And this is kind of weird for a pastor to say, 
And if you're listening, you're probably thinking, okay, this pastor is crazy, right? But if you are not ready to forgive, do not forgive. Because just as Paul says in Romans, we shouldn't repay evil with evil. And if we so-called forgive because we think we understand what true forgiveness is, then in turn, we are doing a disservice not only to that person, but we are doing a disservice to ourselves. Okay? Is that, is that just me? Or does, does that follow? Okay? If you forgive, but it is not a genuine forgiveness, then you are in essence repaying an evil with another evil. So far, you might be thinking, okay, Pastor Tim, you're very clear, or maybe not as clear, that God forgave me, and I comprehend, I truly understand forgiveness, and now I'm ready to give out that forgiveness as well. God initiated, I reciprocated. But that still doesn't convince some of us to forgive. And so for those that are like, ah, I don't know, Pastor, I have three points for you today. Okay. Number one, point one, forgiveness can halt the cycle of blame and pain, breaking the unhealthy chain of ungrace. In the New Testament, actually, the most common Greek word for forgiveness is apesis, right? That's the Greek if you're interested. Okay. But it literally means a sending away, a letting go, a release, a pardon, complete forgiveness. It's practically this ideal of freeing yourself. This is what forgiveness is. By forgiving, we free ourselves from what, whatever it may be. Like we mentioned earlier, forgiveness is truly an unfair thing. It sucks, right? Karma offers a much more satisfying, uh, satisfying ideal in the world that we've grown up in. It seems more fair, right? What goes around comes around, okay? But a lot of the times when we don't forgive, we experience this thing called resentment. Think about like the last time maybe you've had an argument with like a significant other or like a friend. And I remember when I was younger, I used to always get into arguments with my friends. I don't know why, like, I was a small kid, like, I was really scrawny, I don't even know why I tried fighting with my friends. Uh, but we would always get into arguments about very minor, petty things. For example, things like, hey, 8 p.m. last night, like, why weren't you, like, on Messenger? Like, why didn't you message me, dude? I'd be like, what, are you kidding me? Like, 8 p.m. on Messenger? Like, I have other things to do, right? Or things like, dude, like, you know I don't eat, like, this kind of food. Like, why would you even bring me this kind of food? And in turn, when I would get these kind of arguments from my friends, I in turn would be really petty and just throw them back at them. Hey, what about that one time last week where you didn't show up for me at this time, right? You see, sometimes what forgiveness can do is can break that, that cycle of resentment towards each other, right? Resentment is literally to feel again. It is something that reopens these wounds, like a scab that always gets picked and never gets healed. Now, forgiveness can halt that cycle, breaking the chain of ungrace, because you see, forgiveness offers a way out. Of course, it doesn't settle all the questions of blame and, and fairness, but it allows us to restart and to start afresh and to start anew. This is why we're so different than animals, okay? Not just because of our capacity to think and process, but our capacity to repent and to forgive is truly what I believe makes us so different, okay? When we forgive a part of us, or part of why we do it is because it actually helps us. There's a psychiatrist, um, or not a psychiatrist, sorry, a professor and a theologian by the name of Lewis Smeads uh, from Fuller Theological Seminary. This is what he says. The first and often the only person to be healed by forgiveness is the person who does the forgiveness. When we genuinely forgive, 
we set a prisoner free and then discover that the prisoner we set free is us. I think this is such a beautiful statement because it's so true. That true, genuine forgiveness not only releases the burden and the, the, the pressure and this entrapment of guilt and pain of the perpetrator, but for me, myself, right? Genuine forgiveness has the ability to liberate you and I and has the power to set us free. Point two, forgiveness can loosen the stranglehold of guilt and the perpetrator. This point goes hand in hand with the first point, just as I was saying, because yes, genuine forgiveness not only helps the person who is forgiving, but also for the person that is being forgiven. But I strongly believe that, I was thinking about these two points and thinking, what, what should the order be? But I really think that this is important to keep this order, right? Um, it should never be, this second point shouldn't be the first reason why you forgive, okay? Um, and there's many reasons, and I'll probably bring it up a little bit um, in the future sermon, uh, but I shared, to kind of exemplify this one, I shared in one of my previous sermons about my time as a missionary in Tennessee. And if you guys remember uh, the story that I shared, I'll be very brief about it. But when I was a missionary in Tennessee, the theme that they were using was this idea of forgiveness. Do you guys remember that story? Kind of? Okay. And I was sitting in the bus, and you know, that time, it was like maybe a year after a very bad breakup with somebody, and... I was sitting in the bus and I received a text message from that individual and it was a super long message and I was like, what in the world does she want from me now? Uh, and she was pretty much sharing, like, I'm sorry, like, you know, I went through that relationship and I realized, like, what I did was wrong to you, please forgive me. And I was sitting there reading it and I heard a voice and I thought it was God, but it was just a student just looking over my shoulder reading my text. And he was like, Pastor Tim, or Mr. Tim, you should forgive. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, oh, thank you. Oh, okay, right? So for me, this point, forgiveness can loosen the stranglehold of guilt and the perpetrator is so real because not only that moment of me forgiving that person for all the struggle that I had gone through, not only did it help me, but it ultimately helped her move on to a better future, right? Finally and ultimately, the last point that I want to share is that forgiveness is the most beautiful form of showing grace to others. And I know this kind of sounds like, or that, I guess that makes sense, Pastor Tim is talking about you know, grace and forgiveness. Okay, sure. So as I mentioned in the first point, um, forgiveness not only breaks the cycle and the chains of ungrace in our world, but it displays grace in such a way that is so beautiful that the world looks at it in wonder. Now, I'm sure you've seen videos on like YouTube or Facebook or whatever social media platform that you use. Uh, I think this is such a fascinating phenomenon, but every once in a while I'll see these videos of like the courtroom setting. And in the courtroom setting, there'll be, you know, it'll be like, oh, 14-year-old boy murders like a two-year-old like, like child, right? And it says like that the boy is forgiven or something, right? Maybe you've seen it. Um, and they forgive the murderer. The parents of the murdered child forgive the murder of their child. Does that make sense, right? Like, I don't know if you, you guys have seen these, but for me, it's such a heart-touching moment. Like, I've seen like four or five different stories. I, will, I wanted to talk about one of them, but there's so many of them out there. There are parents of the victims forgiving their child's murder. And this is so like, oh my gosh. Right? But it's like not only just forgiving them, saying, oh, you're forgiven or whatever, but it's taking them in 
accepting them as family. I think one of the videos that I saw, it showed a parent letting the murder or telling the murder that you can come to my house, you can live with me, you can, you know, we'll provide you a home, we'll provide you a job. And it's such an odd, crazy, and an unnatural picture to see. It's a complete twist of events. But when you look at this and you watch it, I don't know about you, but at least for me, my heart melts. It's just like, oh my goodness, like this is such a beautiful way of expressing grace. One of the final things that I want to tell you about forgiveness is that because it does go against our human nature, it's an unnatural response for humans that forgiveness needs to be something that is taught, that is practiced, and that is genuinely felt in our hearts. It isn't just an occasional act that we do every once in a while when you come and get advice from the pastor or from a spiritual mentor and they say, oh, just forgive. Forgiveness needs to be a permanent attitude. It needs to become a lifestyle that we engrave into our very lives. What greater gift could we as Christians give to this world than the building and the cultivation of a culture that uplifts grace and forgiveness? Can you imagine? Just imagine with me. Can you imagine a world that practiced grace and forgiveness simply as a lifestyle? Our churches would be filled, our hearts would be merry, and the world would definitely be such a different place. And as I wrap up today's message, I want you to always remember that the solution and the remedy to this issue of ungrace that we find in our churches and our world is true, genuine forgiveness. We show forgiveness because God initiates that forgiveness to you and I. And as we receive the forgiveness, as we take and we understand and we fully comprehend the forgiveness that God has shown us as mere sinners of this world, then we take that forgiveness and reciprocate it to those around us. And that, in the last three points that I share, forgiveness can halt this cycle of blame and pain, breaking the unhealthy chain of ungrace. Forgiveness can loosen the stranglehold of the perpetrator. And forgiveness is truly the beautiful, most beautiful form of showing grace to others. Now, I'm not challenging you guys to, to be the change in this world. I mean, I kind of am. But what I'm really trying to challenge you is this. Okay? Slowly take the time to reflect and to meditate and to feel in your heart the beautiful grace, the beautiful form of forgiveness that God has shown each and every one of us in our own lives. And to start taking that to practice it, to learn of this culture of grace and forgiveness, so that when we go out to our communities, to go out into our worlds, and go out into the people in our own homes, that we can slowly break these chains of ungrace that plagues and haunts our churches and build this new culture of true, authentic forgiveness. So what's so amazing about grace? I really want you guys to to ponder on the ideal of true, genuine forgiveness. And as we continue um, with this series, as I dive deeper into this ideal of grace, uh, understand that if there's a lot of missing pieces, that I'll slowly start to fill them as we get towards the end of this. But I challenge you as a church, as individuals, to reflect on the ideal of grace, to reflect on the ideal of true, genuine forgiveness, so that when we reciprocate it to others, that we can continue to heal and bind the wounds of those that hurt us. Thank you.